We are Rogue Media Sports. Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Coming up on the podcast, the Ray Carruth true crime story is something I've been fascinated with all my life. Nobody better to walk us through it than the Charlotte Observer's Scott Fowler. He was there when it happened, covered it intensely in the aftermath, has an incredible podcast about it. It is called Carruth. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. He talked to just about every character involved in this story and eventually talked to Ray Carruth himself, one of the most compelling characters, the hitman who was accused and ultimately convicted of killing Sharika Adams, a woman who eventually did have Ray Carruth's baby before she died. But a lot to talk about here with Scott Fowler. It's an unbelievable story. actually has a thread or two of hope, but tons of twists and turns, and it's just terribly interesting. So let's get to Scott Fowler. Just after midnight on November 16, 1999, 24-year-old Sharika Adams was shot in Charlotte, North Carolina. She'd gone to a movies with her boyfriend, Ray Carruth, who was at that time a Carolina Panther, and she was following him home, and a car drove up beside her. And I fired one shot, and four more shots. Bam, 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 bam. She was screaming. She was drowning in her own blood. I'm Scott Fowler, a reporter for the Charlotte Observer, and for the past 18 years, I've covered everything that came after that night. Now, on the eve of Ray Carruth being released from prison, the Charlotte Observer and McClatchy Studios take you beyond the story that shocked the sports world. Ray Carruth left Sharika Adams and his own son for dead. They were able to deliver the baby, Chancellor Lee. It's miraculous. He survived. Sharika was in very bad shape when she came in. We're tragedy. She was able to live for 28 days. One of the questions was, do you think Ray was involved? And she just made a question mark. I was not there. I can't testify to anything that happened to Sharika on Ray Road. Meets a grandmother's love. He has cerebral palsy because of the lack of oxygen to the brain. Ma'am, you got to help me to help okay. yourself. Where are you at? He hadn't hired these people to kill Sharika Adams. I'm apologizing for the loss of her daughter. I'm apologizing for the impairment of my son. The legacy of Carruth. I'm just so thankful. I can associate November 16th with the day my grandchild was born. Our miracle boy. Coming October 16th on Apple Podcasts, charlotteobserver.com slash Carruth, or wherever you get your favorite shows.
Do you have a birthday coming up? Yeah. Yeah? Do you know how old you're going to be? Yeah. How old? 18. 18. That's right. It's so interesting. It's eight episodes, your podcast, and they're about 40 minutes a clip. And it is, uh, it's one of those things where when it was over, I didn't, I didn't want it to be over uh, because it was so interesting, really. And I want to get in. We talked about the people around the situation. You covered Ray Carruth, uh, I guess, for, for at least a year or two. And you actually had a chance to have some conversations with him. What, what, what kind of guy was he like personally in your limited experience with him? Prior to the murders, you yeah, mean? Uh-huh. Just, just as a player. Yeah, I was here for his uh, whole career, Pete. It was short, but his uh, NFL career was about three years long in the late 90s. And I was, I've been here long enough. I saw that. I was there the day he was drafted, uh, first round pick in 1997 and, and on from there. And I would, if I was only going to characterize him in one, maybe two words, one would be weird. Uh, he, he was, he was a, a little bit of an odd guy, but there's those kind of guys in every professional sports locker room. And he also was um, introverted. And maybe if I was going to pick a third word, I'd say smart. He was all the, all of those things. He did not um, naturally have a whole lot of friends on the team. He wasn't a life of the party type guy. He was more of a sit, you know, sit on the side and uh, watch the festivities type guy. Did not like to be interviewed much. So we did not have a lot of interviews. But when we did, I would always be impressed with uh, he was a smart guy. I mean, he wrote plays. He was a, uh, at Colorado, you know, he was, he, he wrote, he wrote some poetry and stuff, things that you, and even in the letters he's written me since, I mean, he can, the guy can write. Uh, so he had some talent, but he was also injury prone while he was here. And that kind of started things, I believe, once his, once he realized he maybe couldn't stay healthy as an NFL player. So he signs a contract, you know, you're there when he gets drafted, but I think it's $3.7 million deal, $1.3 million signing bonus, which even today is, is a lot of money. And this is 20 sure. some years ago. When did you, I guess you, you kind of touched on it. When do you feel he had, a, uh, I guess, a child support payment from a previous relationship, a, a girl he dated in Colorado. Was there feelings that, that, that he was going to have some money trouble? If he had an, a, another child, I mean, I guess from Ray Garut's standpoint, there was um, <laughs> not not anything that you would ever notice. I mean, I should back up to say that he had a really good rookie season. Uh, he made the All Rookie NFL team, one of the teams that that was announced. So he was a productive player then, and looked like a guy that might be around here a long time. The injury started in year two, and so always, you know, the motivation that the prosecutors always had later in the trial was that he didn't want to have another child because of what you mentioned, the, the you know, supporting a child until age 18, which he was doing already with, with one uh, son uh, that, that you mentioned, uh, that he did not want to have a second one. And so that was always there, you know, now I, we should point out Ray Carruth never admitted to this murder, mm-hmm. uh, always has proclaimed his innocence about it, but that's what he was convicted on. 
was a conspiracy to commit murder and their motivation was um, basically not wanting to pay for the child. Now, the guy who did commit the murder, and we'll get to the, the victim, uh, Sharika Adams, or in, in a moment here, Van Brett Watkins. If you could describe this guy, I mean, this is, he was before this trial. I, I would consider somebody who was terribly frightening. What, what, yeah. you, you went to interview him in person in Raleigh when he was incarcerated. What did you take away from being in his presence and catch people up on what kind of, what kind of guy we're talking about here? Criminally, it's history. Uh, scary. He was, he's a scary guy even now, and he's somewhat diminished now, Pete, and that he's just gotten older and he has the health problems that everyone has as they get older. He's been incarcerated a long time and will be for the rest of his life because he admitted to pulling the trigger on this murder. And, you know, not only that, to show you a little bit of the type of guy he is, in prison, he's committed some like 40 some odd infractions, various problems, you know, with authority in prison. So he keeps getting years added on to his sentence and being sent to solitary confinement. Huge guy, looks like a, maybe an NFL defensive tackle, like a, you know, 6'4", 280 type guy. Uh, that's probably about right. And he was, you know, his day in court uh, remains probably one of the most probably frightening witnesses I've probably ever seen in a courtroom, uh, the way he spoke. And he's super angry at Ray Carruth. He thinks, you know, he got sort of, he became the scapegoat for everything in this. Um, but yes, he, he was the hitman. And that is episode two of Carruth, uh, the hitman speaks. I went to go talked to him and have exchanged many letters with him over the years as well. Uh, Van Brett Watkins, and he is a unique individual for sure. He seems like, he, now of course, uh, his criminal past, maybe he wasn't particularly honest, but he doesn't have fear of the truth. Uh, it seems like once he was caught, he was very transparent as to what happened. If there's one person telling the truth in this whole thing, my money's on him, but you know, I'm not, I'm not the yeah. judge and jury. No, yeah, I, I think he was believable as a witness. I mean, big, partly because he's making himself look so bad. Uh, you know, normally people who are lying aren't going to lie and make themselves out to be a murderer and, and everything else. He, yeah, I mean, he's he had a, uh, you know, a violent past, uh, a criminal past, and was someone that Ray got to know through some sort of shady uh, dealings. and and was ultimately the person that Ray hired to commit the crime yeah. from Van Brett Watkins telling, which is what everyone believed. And, and we circle back around to get to why exactly he was hired. Ray Carruth is dating, uh, what is it, Sharika Adams. Uh, she, now she's a real estate agent so, uh, part of the time in Charlotte, but she does work at, at a strip club in Charlotte, the Diamond Club, and Ray meets her, they start to date, and, and they were sort of public, but they certainly weren't, uh, for, from the podcast and from what I've read, they weren't exclusive. Right. That's right. They were, um, I guess you would say, both having a good time. They were in their early 20s. I mean, it was a relationship, unlike, you know, very like what many people have in their early and mid-20s, uh, but it changed the day that Sharika Adams got pregnant. 
and she wanted to have that child and Ray did not want her to have that child. And that was uh, a very sore spot. And so they were not seeing each other regularly at all, you know, but Sharika wanted a relationship with Ray. She really did. Uh, she, you know, I believe she thought she was in love with him. And so when he invited her to a movie, a late night movie, she was happy. You know, she thought, oh, great. Now we're going out on a real life. That, that is terribly movie. heartbreaking. The way you break yeah, it down. I, I mean, she's so excited because he's kind of been blowing her off and, and she tells her right. mom and, uh, you know, it means a lot to her that this guy that, you know, he, cause I guess at first Ray Carruth tells her he wants her to have an abortion. Right. And she's like, I'm going to keep the baby. And he, I guess he doesn't like lose his mind or it sounds like he doesn't do, he's not the best communicator, you know? Right. He's, as I said, introverted. So he's more like inside it, you know, he's, I think he's the kind of guy when he's angry, he's not, he's not punching holes through doors. That's not, it's not him. And part of it, you he, said his, his, um, I think you said his anger metastasizes into rage when his teammates are kind of taking shots at him. We all know, you know, what the locker room can be like, healthy, unhealthy. These guys are giving him a hard time because you're going to, you're going to have a, a stripper is going to have your son uh, and she's going to take advantage of you and, that's when he gets in contact, I guess, with Van Brett Watkins, who he had met through some dark circles, right? Watkins was a security guard at a strip club. And what is his initial offering to, to, to Watkins, as far as what you've learned, to, to take Sharika uh, out? I mean, is, initially I heard he wanted her beat up um, so she wouldn't have the— it doesn't, it's, We're not talking about any kind of like real clever uh, murder, murder plan here or, or hit plan. Not at all. And originally the way the Van Brett Watkins uh, speaks to it, that originally there was going to be some, you know, there were various possibilities thrown around, but as you say, it was not, we were not talking a um, sophisticated plan, you know, pushing down the stairs was thought about uh, one time. I think they, they were going to go park, uh, Ray and Sharika were going to go park and have a conversation. He was Ray was going to go inside somewhere. There was going to be near some deserted parking lot. I can't even remember the where. And Van Brett Watkins was going to leap out from behind the dumpster and just beat her up to cause the child, you know, to be uh, not viable. And this is but, five months we're talking about all all this stuff, right? Like these these plans yeah. or these ideas. Oh, yeah. yeah, it was. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the whole thing. It, it sounds. Uh, ridiculous and and then it just turned tragic and you know the amount of money that was discussed I'm, I'm you know blanking on exactly what it was you may remember better than I but I mean it was just it was like three grand dollars yeah it wasn't much money yeah um you know a human life I mean two human lives really and many more than that were affected of course um you know for those who don't know the story of course Sharika Adams ended up uh, being killed, but their son, her and Ray Carruth's son, is very much alive. Chancellor Lee Adams, who I've been, you know, around many, many times, is uh, de developmentally disabled, but did graduate from high school, lives in Charlotte with his grandmother, Sharika Adams' mother, Sandra Adams, who's one of the real heroes of this story, and is now 23 years old. So people forget the whole point of this from Ray Carruth's standpoint, it didn't work. 
you know, the, 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 the child was born. Um, what are we doing here, Rusty? What are we going to do? Uh, yep, we're doing the uh, King of the Hill Rewatch Podcast. King of the Hill yes, Rewatch Podcast. Yeah, so we're going to go through one episode at a time. Uh, come along for the ride with us. Come check it out. And hey, give me give me a good, um, like, Dale Gribble quote to go out on. Wingo! Yeah, Wingo. <laughs> Wingo. Wingo. All right. Well, join us uh, Join us for uh, the uh, King of the Hill Rewatch Podcast. Maybe in the heart of Texas, that drinks his brew and he spits his chew. Maybe in the heart of Texas, the TV players, but no one cares. Maybe in the heart of Texas. Here we go. 911, what's your emergency? Do you hear that? It's coming from the house. It's coming from inside the house? Uh, do you mean, could it be? The Bolter House. New from Rogue Media, two haunted hotties talking about haunted places. Every episode, we dive deep into the darkest places and give you a bit of history. We're getting spooky in all the right places. You've gobbled your last ghoul. Follow along for the craziest and spookiest stories with Debbie's Dark Tourism. The Stanley Hotel, Winchester House, The Alamo, Hotel Monte Vista, and more spooky places. Find us at the underscore Poltergals. P-O-L-T-E-R-G-A-L-S. Look over your shoulder. It's us, the Poltergals. Wherever you consume the podcast, you can find us there. Hey, y'all, I'm April. Hi, I'm Caroline. And we have a new podcast for you. What's it called, Caroline? Uh, Bloody Happy Hour. It's going to be your new favorite guilty pleasure. We're going to talk about some bloody stuff. Serial killers. True crime. Rape. Rapists. <laughs> Why not join us? We'll have a good time. You literally never know. I don't know what I'm going to say. <laughs> bloody Happy Hour. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. That Sharika Adams was, you know, killed after saving her baby uh, with a 911 call that haunts me to this day. Yeah, that's, and, and so in a world where everything is recorded, right, we have everything documented, this young woman that's really the only recording anyone has of her that you were a- able to access or that, you know, the mainstream we've been able to access. And it's courageous. I mean, she is fighting through, like literally Watkins, after he shot her, said she was drowning in her, in her own blood. Uh, and, and she calls 911 to make that desperate call. What, what do you take from that whole situation? It was 12 minutes long. First of all, when I first 
heard the tape. I just was not prepared for the raw emotion of it. And we start Caruth, the podcast, and also the series that I wrote about this uh, whole thing with that 911 call because it's, as you say, Pete, courageous, um, amazingly detailed. I mean, she's giving details of where she is and stuff. And, you know, this is 1999. So the technology isn't as good as it is now. They originally, they can't find her. She hears the ambulances going by and she's directing them. And as you're listening to it on the call, you're like, oh my gosh, she's being so clear. She's been shot four times. How can you guys not get this? Mm. Uh, But they do eventually get this and they get there. Um, you know, and she and the baby is born by emergency C-section that night. Um, you know, one of the police officers who saw her really early in this whole process I talked to, and he said at that time, the doctor's opinions were that uh, the mother would live and that the baby would perish. And it turned out to be exactly the opposite. Sharik Adams four weeks later died, but Chancellor Lee Adams survived. We'll get we'll, we'll we'll go forward into that 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 painful sequence of events that follows the shooting, but preceding the shooting that night, it's a hasty plan. Very much so. You know, we yes. mentioned that she's so excited. Ray Carruth invites her. Hey, we're going to go out on on an official date, and they're going to go see the Bone Collector, and in, in, I guess where, where was it? Was it in South Charlotte, the movie theater? Yes, yeah. right, South Charlotte. So Denzel Washington, Angelina Jolie. In the Bone Collector. This is November fourteenth, nineteen ninety nine, and the, he, I guess Watkins, and what was the other guy's name um, that go over to his house? Kennedy. Kennedy. Yes. Yeah. I'm. Yeah. I'm forgetting the other. Uh, yeah. Kennedy, and then there, there was a you know a third guy in the car too. Abraham. Was, was it Stanley Abraham? Yeah. Stanley yeah. Abraham. Yeah. Kennedy and Watkins, and yet they knew Watkins by his pseudonym basically which was new york they didn't even really know his real name i mean these people were not a as i said before a sophisticated crime ring i mean they're just kind of thrown together because watkins needs someone to drive the car while he does the shooting out of the you know back seat and ray you know the whole yeah exactly they invited you know should they go to a late night movie and ray makes up some reason why they have to drive separately on a date which doesn't really make any sense at all, but of course was part of this plot. And yeah, I mean, it's just, and the, of course the, yes, the irony, the bone collector, if I remember correctly, is about a serial killer, Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. 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 That's the movie they saw right beforehand. And so he stops, uh, you know, puts on the brakes. They're driving on Ray road. They're driving from, cause they go to his house after the movie, he says, I've got an injury. I have a rehab appointment. If I stay at your place, it'll be closer in the morning. So she's like, okay. But even the, even as you illustrate, she calls her mom. She's like, something's off. This is weird. You know, and her mom's like, you got to work tomorrow. I guess this was before the movie. And, 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 and yeah, Ray's that like, was a little no, before, let's go. That was before. She was like thinking about not even going. Yeah. They were at his house and things were strange. There might have been another, you know, uh, lady there and some other friends and it didn't seem much like a date. Yeah, you know? yeah. So she called her mom then. And then on the way back when suddenly he wanted to go to her house, I think she called her roommate, which if I remember was a cousin or something and said, Oh my gosh, clean up the house. Ray's coming over oh. again. 
kind of heartbreaking, the sort of excitement about, oh, an unexpected guest and one I really want is coming over. And of course, they never got there. He stops the car as she's following him. Uh, Watkins and, and Kennedy, I guess, is driving. They pull up alongside and and he fires. How, how many shots do you remember? Five, I guess he connects five times. Five shots uh, of which four hit her. Um, yeah. And then they drive off without getting out, uh, without checking, you know, on what happened. They just know that they had, you know, and Ray in the meantime has driven off as well. Um, and uh, that car also drives uh, away. And that's when Sharika manages somehow to drive the car a few yards into a subdivision, calling nine, calls 911 from a cell phone uh, in her car, which was unusual at the time. A lot of people did not have that. Fortunately, she did and drove into somebody's, you know, just a random bystanders like driveway. And that guy came out and, you know, tried to assist her as well. She goes to the hospital and then this is where this is where I think you could you or or if you spend enough time covering this or a doctor or psychiatrist can really classify Ray Carruth as, as as some kind of something because he shows up at the hospital. Now, Sandra Adams calls is panicked because she gets a call to go to the hospital. She calls Ray over and over again because obviously it's his child and and initially it seems like she's totally unsuspecting. And Ray shows up with another girl to the hospital right. and it's oh, just yeah. like and he's like yeah. checked out and and she confronts him right you you have some of the most amazing conversations with this woman by the way people that listen to the podcast will have a chance to hear that but she is so the way that she has i guess forgiven everyone in the situation so she's free to live her own life and to discuss this stuff with you uh in a matter that you would not think is uh typical in a situation like this she was she's she's very clear in her frustration with him that night at the hospital. What, what, what did she tell you about that? Well, the part she always remembers, and she's told me this story a couple of times now, is the other girl that he brought with him to the hospital. At one point, he was, they were, you know how hospitals, you're always sitting around and waiting. That's just part of the deal at hospitals. Somehow Ray was sitting on the floor, and this girl was behind him massaging his shoulders. And that image has always stuck with me, like the sort of the disrespect of that. I mean, I don't care what the relationship was, whether they were really boyfriend or girlfriend, or they just were hooking up or whatever. You don't do that when someone's getting, you know, yeah. in a normal, a normal person doesn't. Yeah. So, yeah. And, you know, there was a, there was some, some confrontations then and, and later, Sandra still didn't really understand, as, and no one would at that time, what was going on. And her main concern, of course, was, was Sharika and the baby. Uh, but, yeah, you know, right away, I mean, there was a lot of, you know, Sharika wrote some notes from her bedside that were critical in the trial because she couldn't speak for a lot of it because she had a, you know, breathing tube. But... And those were part of the reasons he was implicated. And I should mention that, you know, Ray Carruth's contention through his lawyer, who, by the way, was, was the same lawyer who was the lawyer in The Staircase. If anyone's ever seen The Staircase on HBO or uh, Netflix, David Rudolph, who's an excellent lawyer, um, their, their whole contention was this was a drug deal gone bad, that Van Brett Watkins was mad at Ray 
for not giving him some money or not financing a drug deal that Van Brett Watkins wanted to make. And so then out of spite, more or less, went and, and shot Sharika on his own. Um, that was their contention. Wasn't bought by the jury, but that's always what they said. But in any case, yeah, Ray shows up at the hospital. It's an absolute chaotic scene, and he brought another girl. So December, I guess December 15th, uh, she passes away. Yeah, uh, 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 it's December 15th or December 14th. Uh, Chancellor is born. Um, and then, and, and she passes away. So they're, they're fostering this, this child who ends up with cerebral palsy, uh, to life and she dies. Uh, now let's go back to what you're doing. I mean, you're covering the team, uh, you know, a star player, like you mentioned, he was on the all rookie team. He had four or five touchdowns as a rookie, showed a ton of promise, first round pick his, you know, the woman who's going to have his baby is, is dead. How do you guys hear about this how do you guys cover this what what goes down yeah well it's important to me- to remember it was a different era uh pete because can you imagine if that happened right now to a first round pick in the nfl and the amount of coverage you know like in a very different situation that we've seen with damar hamlin for instance um, just round the clock, 24 seven coverage, uh, in that case of, you know, a horrible injury on the field and a hospitalization and such. But, uh, Ray Carruth was way more famous than DeMar Hamlin. And this would have been 24 seven. I mean, this was, a, but it happened in 1999 when Twitter and, uh, you know, Instagram and all those things did not exist. So, but it also happened dur- during the season. Yeah, go ahead. It also happened during the season. So, yeah, you did have yeah, some during the season, all of it. I mean, you, right. you, you yeah, had some built in injured, at- but yeah, it happened during the season. So, there, you know, the Panthers are playing games and uh, and all that. And here he's, um, you know, <laughs> it was it was crazy. Uh, well, the, the short answer is we had a bunch of really good news reporters, and they really at this point were handling most of the court coverage and legal coverage and interviewing the lawyers and such. I mean, we were doing the sports people were doing more locker room reactions. Yeah. That's what I was curious about. That sort of thing. There's built in access. Uh, Yeah. You're there. Right. So you're there. There were people watching it later, you know, when it went on trial that they would take breaks and, you know, when they had their lunch period and which was the time we could interview them and you could see them clustered back in front of a TV watching the live feed on court TV, which court TV televised the trial gavel to gavel. I mean, I've never experienced anything like it. It was crazy. And the, all, you know, George Seifert was the coach. And they stunk uh, that year. Yeah. And they, yeah, they were bad. Uh, although 99, yeah, they were like average. I think they were eight and eight or something. Okay. Okay. Um, so they weren't horrible later on. They were like the, oh, during the trial, they were terrible. They were like one in 15. But um, really the only guy who was real a stand-up guy about it and talked about it a lot anytime you asked him about it was Steve Berline, the quarterback at the time, classy guy, very much a kind of a pro's pro. And he was sort of like their version of, uh, I don't know, you know, every team has a guy like that who's kind of taking the, taking the heat for everyone else. 
a lot of other people would be like, I just don't want to talk about that. Yeah. But Berline would. I always respected him for that. And he's in the podcast too, partly for that reason, uh, because he was he was always open about, man, you know, Ray was a talented guy, but he was a little strange. So uh, this is all happening and it's just you you can't can't write it, can't make it up. It's it's happening right 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 in front of your eyes. And then the police, by the way, as you illustrate in the pod, and people, you know, can't go through every last thing, but the police do a it's clever investigation where they have his car at one point and you know his attorney won't let they won't let the police talk to him. So they they kind of trick him and they say, Hey, if we've got your car, everything's cool, no DNA, come on, we'll come pick you up and take you down to the station. And when we when we take you down to the station, you can get your car and we'll avoid all the media. And and Ray was like, Awesome. You know, and they were like buddy, buddy, and then he gets down there, and they get him talking a little bit, you know, and they they get him talking about the phone calls he made. Yeah, exactly. They um, they were they were proud of that, you know. The the police, <laughs> I think, in retrospect, many years later, uh, again, yeah, we're not talking about infiltrating the uh, mafia here, <laughs> but they did. Um, you know, they managed. I mean, they're the police work here was pretty good. I thought they, you know, they had several moments like that, you know, later, and this was, you know, later, but they, the FBI agent, the FBI managed to figure out where Ray was, um, caught him in a trunk in a car trunk in Tennessee, uh, basically around the same time you're talking about as soon as she died, you know, he got, he got out of there. Yeah. What was that like when, when, when word spread that he had fled? Oh, nuts. You know, just people there again, you know, it trickles out back in those times. It wasn't somebody putting it on Twitter. It was just conversations like, man, I heard, I heard they went to Caruso's house and couldn't find him. And, you know, a reporter and editor. And I'm like, are you serious? You know, and it only came out kind of in the, at the end, you know, as to exactly how, convoluted all of that was he escaped with another female friend who drove him to Tennessee but ultimately really didn't want to be a part of things she didn't want to be an accomplice to it and um, with the help of Ray's mom if I'm remembering correctly they finally said you know he's in the trunk and you know he was in there with uh couple of you know Gatorade bottles that he had been urinating in and a couple of like energy bars or something and, and some money a lot of money you know some cash so again not a real well thought out plan he was panicked and he was he was running uh, at that time because he knew he was going to be arrested once she died arrested and charged with you know because she's dead now with murder and you thought you'd follow this the whole time and, and, and like you mentioned probably not as involved and at the time, because, you know, your news people are on the beat and, the, and they're covering it. But watching, you mentioned the court TV stuff was just, were you in the courtroom? Did you go to the court? Sometimes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I didn't cover it gavel to gavel. I would go certain times, you know, certain days and when I could. I was mean, it, it packed? Was, um, normally, yes. Okay. Yeah. Packed. And there was, you know, um, Ray's mom was in the court every day. Um, Sharika's mom, Sandra, was in the court every day. They sat on different sides, you know, like a like at a wedding, you know, how you have the bride or the groom. I mean, they, they were there was definitely Sandra's side, which was larger, 
you know, there's more people there uh, for Sharika because she grew up locally. You know, Ray really didn't. But his mom flew from in from California and was here the whole time. Yeah, Ray was from Sacramento. I, I left that part out. Yeah, right, so, right. But so while this is all happening, what is the court of public opinion at the time uh, surrounding this, this situation? Um, court of public opinion would probably have been Ray's guilty, you know, that in, in some way or the other. That was certainly, I, I would suppose, the, the pre-presumption from just your average Panther fan as, as more and more came out about their relationship and, uh, but people weren't sure, you know, and even I, you know, as we, as we talk more later about the jury, I mean, the jury wasn't sure the prosecution didn't get everything it wanted. If they did, Ray Carruth would still be in prison right now. Yeah. Well, one of the reasons he, he was in prison for 18 years was, was Van Brett Watkins. And, and as he details it, uh, you know, he was like you said. You could feel the the like the vitriol. He he was angry w- with Ray Carruth. Ray Carruth. He said this bitch, right? Like like did was supposed to do it and didn't do it. I remember that. It was like whoa. It was very. It was it was scary. I I, I can't. believe you mentioned Carruth had such a good lawyer. Uh, his ability to go toe to toe with this guy and and be unfazed was was pretty remarkable. Yeah, yeah, he was. Uh, I mean, he. Uh, David Rudolph enjoys a good joust. I think for him, it was a memorable trial as well. But I know Carruth said to uh, David Rudolph one time, because Van Brett Watkins just ripping him up one side and down the other on, on, you know, when he was on the stand and Carruth said to Rudolph one time, how many times are you going to let him call me a bitch? Because it, it, it happened multiple times. Um, now did Van Brett Watkins, you know, tell it a hundred percent exactly right probably not i mean probably not exactly right but he was probably the most believable person in that trial and i think that's probably you know as i interviewed several jury members including the foreman uh, his testimony was very important to where they where they came down which was not first degree murder for ray caruth but conspiracy to commit murder, uh, which was not the worst charge they could have gotten him with and several other uh, charges as well. But that was the big one. And that's why he did spend almost 19 years in prison. And how about Watkins? What did he end up getting? Was he charged with first degree murder? He did. Yes, he got he got first degree murder and, you know, I don't know, 50 years or something, which is extended on into more years because of his infractions behind bars. So like he didn't get out until 2050 or 2045 or something. And he's already like 60 some odd years old. Yeah. I think by your math, he's, I think he's 62 now, uh, just going off, you know, the, the pod and everything. So now let's, let's kind of bring you in because this is all, this all happens. Ray is in prison. We're backtracking a little bit. You know, Watkins obviously is in prison. At what point do you start to, a Chancellor Lee is like, is, is becoming a, a boy and then he becomes a young man and now he is a man. At what point do you think, okay, I'm going to dive into this and I'm going to try to tell this story. I'm going to try to reach out to all these people um, and try to make sense of this very uncomfortable and tragic situation. 
Um, well, the so we always knew that when Ray was supposed to be released was October 2018. And so that was my end date. That was sort of the deadline. But I guess I started working on it in a substantive way, uh, a substantive way, probably 2014, 15, somewhere in, somewhere in there. I wrote some stories, some, some update stories along the way. Uh, but the massive project of, you know, that, that ultimately came out in 2018 uh, was, you know, maybe a couple of years in the making. Um, but again, you know, working on it in between other things. Uh, and of course, the never would have done it, Pete, without Sandra Adams. That was I would not have done this. Some podcasts, really? you know, you hear true true crime podcast and they'd be like, so-and-so wouldn't speak to us and so-and-so wouldn't speak to us, but we're going to do this anyway because it's, uh, you know, a great story or yeah. whatever. No, without Sandra, I, I went to her when I when I decided this is what I want to do. I want to go back and find everybody and talk to them. And I was like, you're essential to this. It's your daughter. Chancellor Lee is your grandson and you are his caretaker without you. I don't think it'll be very good. And so I'm going, I'm going to try to convince you why it would be a good thing for, you know, for us to do for you to do and, and to cooperate with me. But if you don't, I ain't doing it. Let me stop you right there. Cause this is so interesting about just this process. You, you really tell her that like, Hey, without yep. you, let, let me try to convince you. That's like, hey, give, give me like a little bit. Let me try to convince you. Um, and if you say no, I'm not going to do it. And then, and then you try to convince her. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, exactly. I, and, um, you know, I didn't think I needed Ray uh, and I didn't think I would get him. I mean, ultimately, it, finally I did after he got out of jail and I found him in Pennsylvania. But he's not in the, you know, the first seven parts of the podcast. And, um he was, it was, but with, without Sandra, I don't, I just don't think, I, I mean, it certainly could be done, but I just didn't feel like I wouldn't have felt good about it. I wouldn't have felt like, I would have felt like I was taking advantage of a tragic situation for our own benefit. And in this case, I know sometimes Sometimes in journalism, you don't have that, you don't have that choice. And this, at this point though, I did, I mean, I, it, this was a project. We didn't have to do it. it well, and this, like and this story has it all. It has, it has, yeah. it's salacious. It's got the mystery part to it. It's just a, a tragedy, but it has hope. You know, it the does. story of Chancellor yeah. Lee is a story of hope. This is. And forgiveness too, as you mentioned, I mean, she's forgiven all of these people who killed her daughter. It's remarkable to me. I never would be able to do it. Yeah, what do you credit that to? Her deep Christian faith. I think that's what she would say for sure. Um, but also she's just the type of person that believes in second chances. And she is a wonderful, loving person. And I wish she was with us right now because uh, every time, selfishly, because every time I ever talk to her, she's like 65 years old now. Every time I ever talk to her, I come out feeling better about myself. And she does that effect on everybody. I mean, she really should be like a, I don't know, you know, she should give TED Talks or something because she's really uh, remarkable and 
you know, has had a, a quite a life story of her own, but, but she is the person like when I, t- people say, well, that was a great podcast. I, I will say, well, thanks. But really that was Sandra Adams more than anybody else. And I was just sort of facilitating. I, I just wanted people to, and that's one reason I wanted to do it as a podcast instead of just a online or print story. I wanted people to hear her voice because her voice and Sharika's another hero of the story. When you hear Sharika on that 911 call, you can kind of hear Sandra in there too, sort of the, the determination and the hope and the, you know, the worst things, not the last thing sort of uh, feeling. couple more things for you before, before I let you out of here. I want to ask you about, or just touch on, I guess, you know, it just shows this thing is so much bigger than us because if she doesn't, and I'm not saying I could do it, you know, you said you probably didn't think you could do it, but if she doesn't find that place for forgiveness, she doesn't have a chance to let, you know, the sunlight of the spirit or whatever you want to call it, shine through her to raise this, this young man because she was there with a positive spirit. From, from what I could tell from, from the work that you did and other stuff that I saw, she gave that, that she gave Chancellor Lee uh, the best life she possibly could. Right. Yeah. I mean, that you, you won't meet a happier young man than Chancellor Lee. I mean, his, uh, they, Sandra calls it his smile ministry, but every time they go in a restaurant or something and he's just, it's just sort of his natural, uh, you know, how some people have sort of a frown on their natural face. His is a smile. I mean, he just, that's just sort of his default. And so, and by the way, he looks incredibly like Ray Carruth too, um, which is, you can tell from pictures now, cause he's about the age that Carruth was when he joined the Panthers. But in any case, um, his smile is, is beautiful. And he, I mean, he, the chaotic circumstances he was born into, I don't think he fully understands, honestly, with the, you know, the developmental disabilities and the cerebral palsy. He's had a great life. Uh, as you said, the best life probably you could imagine. Couldn't have a more loving caregiver. Has a lot of loving people around him and her family. Uh, you know, he's had some therapists he's been very close to over the years. He's got friends. He went to high school. He was mainstreamed into one of Charlotte's main high schools in an exceptional children's program. I mean, he's had a, for the way he started, it's a miracle. How, how is he today? What does he need? And forgive me for like, if this is, you know, it's just a question. I don't want to be ignorant. Is he, does he need like round the clock care or, or does he, does he have to live with somebody taking care of him? Because again, this is a, this is a result of, of what happened, you know, it, it still right. remains a tragedy, although there is a thread of hope. That's right. Yes. He, he will always need to live with someone and he does live with Sandra now and there's plans in place for, you know, if, if they're needed, if when Sandra passes away for some other family member to take care of him, there's a lot of things he can do, but he could never live on his own. I mean, he's not going to be someone he'll, he'll never be able to drive, for instance, or, um, you know, he still only speaks normally a few words at a time. So communication skills, while he can do it, are best done when someone else is sort of helping smooth out the process. So, um, so yeah, he'll always, he'll always need care. How are they able to facilitate that financially? I think that's a, um, you know, I think because of, you know, the way it happened, I believe that Medicare and, you know, he's, I think it's really governmental assistance, basically. 
All right. Well, that's good. It's good to know that there's, you know, uh, support there. Yeah. Talk to me about your experience meeting Ray Carruth on the other side of all this uh, when, when he was in Pennsylvania. How did that go? We'll, we'll kind of wrap it up with that. What what happened? <laughs> yeah, uh, that was uh, one of the uh, most surreal journalism days I've ever had. You know, I'd met Ray, of course, when he was here and but I had and I had corresponded with him a little mostly one-sided me corresponding when with he him. was a player in charlotte you did a story on him about his number about yeah 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 about why number. about he why thought players about that more than anyone else i'd ever talked to he thought he looked fat in certain uniform numbers and, and he was a wiry guy he was not there wasn't an ounce of body fat on him but he he had changed numbers here four or five times <laughs> which i think goes to a little bit of trying to figure out who he was, you know, he, his, his identity was a little in flux. Um, but yeah, so uh, 20 years later, it had been 20 years since I'd seen him, found out where he lived in Pennsylvania, didn't have a phone number. Where is he? Where address. was he in Pennsylvania? Well, I, I shouldn't say that. Okay. Okay. Now, okay. Probably, but um, so I drove there uh, in a rent a car and I'll say this, I was, I was covering a Steelers game. Okay. I was up there for anyway for that. So it was, it was within driving distance of Pittsburgh. I'll say that. And, um, and drove to where I thought he lived and uh, parked, went and knocked on the door. A couple of dogs started barking and I didn't think anyone was home because there were no cars. Um, and then I saw the dog stop and then he walked to the door and there he was. 20 years later. And he said uh, he had wind, a bottle of Windex in his hand. He was cleaning up, turned out to be cleaning up for his mom, who was going to be visiting later that day. Uh, but he came outside and I explained to him, who I, you know, reminded him who I was because I had a lot more gray hair now than I did 20 years ago. And he kind of smiled and he, got, and he said, you know, I thought you might pop up sometime. Why don't you come on in? And so I came in, um, he didn't want me to tape the conversation and I didn't, but we talked at his kitchen table for about half an hour. And, um, you know, he still proclaimed his innocence. Uh, he told me some about prison life, told me how strange the world had turned in the you know 19 years since he'd been a, uh, in and out. Didn't know how to use a cell phone, basically, you know, was learning that. And, um, and then, from there, we had a few more conversations once I went back home via email and stuff. And um, and now I've kind of lost touch with him again. He's not returning my calls and stuff. So we had a moment there for about several months where I kind of, he, you know, he sent me a picture of the day he got his driver's license. He was super proud. He got his driver's license in Pennsylvania. Um, but now he's, he, you know, as I mentioned before, he's introverted. He wants to live a solitary life. And I think pretty much right now in Pennsylvania, he's succeeding in living a life where people don't really know who he is for the most part. And, and of course he likes it that way. Did you get the feeling that he was at peace? Partially. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think he sort of made his peace with the fact, although he thought he was unfairly convicted that also he had been doing some bad things. And so maybe, you know, David Rudolph, his lawyer even says now, nobody was really happy with the verdict. And Rudolph said, 
you know, maybe that's exactly the way it should have turned out. No one's very happy with it. Maybe that's a good compromise where the jury landed. Uh, he still doesn't, I should mention, he still doesn't have contact with his son, Chancellor Lee. He does keep up with the other son who's slightly older. Ray Jr. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Who's, who's in, uh, forget where he may still be in California or something, but the other one is older and they, they do have some relationship, but chancellor Lee and him do not. Although Sandra Adams has said they could have a little bit of a relationship if, if Ray wanted and Ray has claimed to want it, but it has never happened. So I don't think either side really wants to connect. And maybe that's, maybe that's for the best. Maybe it would open so many old wounds that, that that's not a good idea at this point. Um, it's chilling in the podcast. She mentions to you that the one time he held uh, Chancellor, right? Or, or he didn't hold. He, she said, do you want to hold him, right? When he was, after he'd been born and he's in terrible shape, it's before Ray goes on the run and everything. That yeah. day they're in the hospital. And, and he says, what does he say? Well, he does hold Ray briefly, at, I mean, excuse me, Chancellor Ray does hold Chancellor at least. This was later on a, on a supervised visit. Uh, yeah, you're right at the hospital. I don't think he wanted to hold him at all. He said because later, I'll never see him a again. Supervised visit, and he was sort of like, "I'm done." You know, like he held, you know, just for a little bit, and then he's like, "Okay, you want you want him back?" Sort of thing. I mean, he was not uh, a wholesome father figure. We'll say that. All right, Scott. What are you going to do? Another one of these. A serial narrative um, is, uh, you know, maybe, I mean, honestly, this story was probably the story of my lifetime. I've, I've spent so much time on it. Um, I, I do, like you, Pete, I do dabble in podcasting now. I have one called Sports Legends of the Carolinas. Oh, okay. Which is strictly interviews with sports legends. But it's just a one, it's sort of like what we're doing now, just a fun one-on-one -on -one talk with somebody. It's not a, you know... We're not talking about murders. <laughs> We're talking about, you know, I got Steph Curry to do it and um, Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Muggsy Bogues, who you'll remember from. Oh, yeah. Days. Oh, yeah. And, you know, just uh, to talk about, you know, kind of behind the scenes stories of their own lives. So I'm dabbling podcasting, but the, the and it's Sports Legends of the Carolinas, if anyone wants to check that one out. But Caruth as a serial narrative and, and the, uh, it would have to be a pretty remarkable story to put myself through that again. Yeah, but I, I would imagine it was a, it was a lot. It was emotional and it was taxing, and and you did you did a hell of a job. Well, thank you. Yeah, you know, I got sick at the end. Um, I got shingles, honestly, and um, which is, hey, anybody over fifty, get your shingle shot. That is absolutely <laughs> a, a no brainer these days. They've got a vaccine, but back then they didn't really recommend it. And I got it. So I look like uh, Two-Face from the um, comic strips. Like half my face was completely red and messed up and half of it was uh, normal. And it went away after a couple of weeks. But <clears throat> I was absolutely sure that the this sort of workload, this job, thinking about this all the time, this horrible thing that happened to these these wonderful people, it, I, it stressed me out enough that I think that's what I got it from. Shingles can be stress release. So I think, yeah. So that's another part of it is I was at the end of this, I got very, very sick for a couple of weeks and, and recovered, but it's, uh, you know, 
as you know, I mean, you get you get deeply involved in a story. It's like you're part of it suddenly. Yeah, well, we appreciate it because it's it's <laughs> great. It really is awesome. It's Happy awesome. Happy to do it. Yeah, it's, Scott, I thank you so much, man. I'll, this will probably go up on Friday. And I'll and I'll shoot you a link. And I cannot thank you enough. This was I, this was selfish of me because I was oh, yeah. I, I I figured I always wanted to talk to you about this, and I had to have a podcast to come up with a reason. So <laughs> there we go. Well, I'm always glad to talk about it, Pete. It was very nice of you to do it, and um, I'll make sure and uh, uh, social it out as well once you send me the link. Because yeah, it's always fun to always fun to relive it. It was a grueling, but it was um, you know. One of those I'll always look back on. I mean, I have a poster of the uh, of the series in my in my office. It's the only thing, you know, the only basic journalism award thing I've got is up is that one. It, it's something to be it, really proud of. It, it really, yeah, it really, you know, really just I, I'll always remember it. I still yeah. keep up with them, um, you know, offhand, but I, I probably, you know, at some point. I mean, once every year or two, I check back in with them on a in a story way, but more often than that, just on Facebook or something, you know, uh, to see how they're doing. Yeah. Well, great job, man. I can't thank you enough for the time. The team of destiny, North Carolina State. For years, the Carolinas have been known as a place where champions rose up from the red dirt. What a finish at Daytona, Dell Jr. on top of the car. Some of the best athletes in the world were born or became famous here. Some of the best storytellers, too. My wife gives me a hard time. She's like, why are you nostalgic to these moments? But I got a nostalgic bone in me that just is trying to take me back. Welcome to Sports Legends of the Carolinas. I'm Scott Fowler, and in my nearly 30 years at the Charlotte Observer, I've had the privilege of building close relationships with some true sports icons. Our college basketball analyst, Jay Billis, joining us live. Some real legends must have turned you down if you had to scrape the bottom <laughs> of this barrel to get me. From small town boys who became Super Bowl champs. caught by Wesley Walls, touchdown. I tell people Scott all the time, I got to play with Joe Montana, Steve Young, Brett Favre, Jim Everett. I should have better numbers. Yeah. <laughs> to athletes following in the family business of greatness. Using lessons learned from his father, it's going to be Dale Earnhardt Jr. Dad was always a ceiling to protect me, and that was gone. I'm seeking out some of my very favorite sports figures and hearing their untold stories about their paths to becoming legends. Bugsy Bogue scoring. From my ninth and tenth grade, I was 5'3", and I never grew. You know, we were the five-foot family, as I call us. <laughs> These aren't just interviews. These are deep conversations made possible by connections I've developed over decades, where nothing is out of bounds. Final lap at Daytona. We both just give each other the cold shoulder. And if I could talk to that version of myself, I would slap the shit out of him. Introducing sports legends of the Carolinas. And the Carolina Panthers win in overtime. Coming soon from the Charlotte Observer, wherever you listen to your favorite shows. North Carolina with a national championship. has been a Rogue Media Podcast.
We are Rogue Media Sports.